0: Before we begin here, I was just reminded of a um, a Bible. I don't. Know, I wouldn't call it a Bible application, but it's on YouTube that you can go. It's called the Bible Project, and the these people have worked through the entire scriptures, and they in like six to eight minute videos. They give an overview of any book of the Bible, and I've been finding it so helpful to just go and. In six minutes, you can get a, the overview. And if they're longer books of the Bible and they have more, they've broken up up into two. But it's called the Bible Project. And I would just submit that as something, especially uh, if parents want to help their young kids. And you say, hey, here's a picture of the book of Romans. And they break it up because they draw it in character caricatures. And the guy does it just a fascinating job, but it's a, just a sweeping overview of each book of the Bible. And I wanted to mention that because I've found it helpful and anything that can help us and get us into the Bible, get our kids into the Bible, get us not just in there, but understanding and um, getting the meaning. So let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. And we thank you for the spirit, your spirit that will lead and guide us in understanding of the of your word and hearing your word and it says in your word that faith comes by hearing and so God I need your help to organize my thoughts to share what you've laid on my heart to open your scriptures and we all need your help to help us to hear what you have to say as you speak and teach and guide and lead Help us, Jesus. It's in your precious name. Amen. So if you would turn in your Bibles to Colossians chapter 3, and we're on the same passage, same idea, but maybe just a slightly different side of the same thrust. And last week we talked about this particular passage, and they laid some of the foundation that... um, of the groundwork about what Christ has done. And now today I want to share a little bit more of our obligation and responsibility in responding to this. So Colossians chapter 3, Paul writing to this group of believers and they're in the midst of a place where false teaching is coming in and trying to lead them astray. And we've gone through that. And now we've come to chapter 3 where he's giving the uh, closing remarks in a sense but he says in chapter 3 verse 1 since then you have been raised with christ set your heart on things above where christ is seated at the right hand of god set your mind on things above not on earthly things for you died and your life is now hidden with christ in god when christ who is your life appears you also will appear with him in glory And so I want to just spend a little more time this morning just on the idea of our obligation in seeking. And it says in the um, King James, it uses the word seek instead of set. But the idea is the same, is that you would take your attention factor, whatever that is, your heart, your mind, and you would set it like a dial on the radio. When you set the dial to the station and it gets tuned in, that's what you're going to hear, that station. And so the Scriptures, Paul is trying to tell these Colossians, you have a responsibility, you have a privilege, you have an opportunity, and you need to set part in it, and you need to understand how critical it is that you take notice of your privilege and your responsibility to set your heart and set your mind No one else is going to do it for you. People will influence you, and we'll talk about that in a little bit. But you have the privilege and you have the responsibility to set the dial of your heart and your mind to at least your capability at this time, depending on your age and your experience and your faculties. You do what you can to set your heart and your mind on things above. We have an obligation and we have a privilege. But I need to, before I start talking about that again, I just want to set it. That the foundation for your spiritual condition, as you've been raised up in Christ, died in Christ, raised to new life in Him, and that being alive in Christ, and even having the privilege and responsibility to set your mind, the foundation of your spiritual condition as a Christian is not your feelings. Feelings come and go. It's not your abilities. Abilities come and go. The foundation of your spiritual condition is having been raised with Christ. His resurrection is your resurrection. Your faith is in His power, what He has done. And you will be tempted from here until the grave to focus on other things. And that's all in chapter 2 there. Don't be taken away. Don't be led astray by this philosophy. Don't be led astray by this tradition. Don't be led astray by this next self-help movement. Whatever it is. The foundation of being in Christ is Christ Himself. His resurrection. His power. His authority. His sovereignty. His grace. His mercy. His kindness. It's set. That's the foundation. It's not... Our abilities, it's not our strength, it's Him. Our obligation, our responsibility, our duty, our privilege, our choices, our direction, our creed, our code, our conduct is set not by our willpower, not by our strength, but by the resurrection of Jesus Christ. So He's saying to them, Since you have been raised. With Christ. So there's the power. There's the source. Set your mind on things above. We're raised to new life in Him. We're empowered and equipped by His strength. His life is in us. The life by which we live the Christian life. There is no Christian life apart from the life of Christ by His Spirit living in us. Otherwise, it's just willpower. Otherwise, it's just following some rules and regulations. He lives in us, and we live in Him. In Him, we have been rescued from the dominion of darkness, brought into the kingdom of light. In Him, we have been baptized. In Him, we have been circumcised. In Him, we've been raised up. In Him, we have the seal of the Holy Spirit, the anointing of the Holy Spirit, the leading and the guiding of the Holy Spirit. We have His indwelling presence. In Him, we have the adoption as sons. We have justification. We have reconciliation. We have sanctification. We have redemption. It's all in Him. And I want to set that tone because I'm going to spend a lot of time talking about your privilege and your responsibility to set your heart and set your mind on things above. Basically, that you would set your heart and set your mind on Christ. That you would continue to keep seeking a higher place. I've been reading through the Old Testament just as a, a opportunity and responsibility that starts with the new year. I try to spend some time reading. Because if you're anything like me, there's the Bible's not the only thing you're reading. And uh, sitting around reading the Bible's not the only thing you're doing. And you have some responsibilities, so you have to set some plans. And so I set some time aside so I can get into the Bible because there are sections of the Bible I won't get to for quite some time. And I'm studying Colossians. I spend some time there. But if I'm, uh, when's the last time you read Zephaniah? When's the last time you read Hosea? When's the last time you read Hezekiah? Hezekiah is not a book in the Bible, okay? It's a king. But unless you set aside some time, and so this past week was my time of going through Jeremiah. And so what I'm going to quickly do, if you want to turn to Jeremiah, one of the prophets in the Old Testament, I'm going to quickly point out to you, just in an overview of the first probably 15 chapters, the idea that Israel was in a serious place. And uh, they had split into two kingdoms, kingdom of Israel, kingdom of Judah. They had been moving away from God, forsaking God, not seeking God. And they're coming and Israel is already taken away and now Judah. And Jeremiah is preaching to Judah and telling them, here's the situation. It's desperate. You better get your life seeking God. And so I'm just going to point out some of the things that were going on. First of all and foremost, you need to know that you setting your heart and your mind on things above will be challenged daily, sometimes hourly, sometimes minute by minute by the world, the flesh, and the devil. It is not an easy thing to set your heart and to set your mind. It is a privilege. It is a responsibility. It is an obligation. It is a choice. And if it's not a determined choice, you'll be drifting off all over the place. And so these folks back then were to set their hearts on God. They were to seek God. And they didn't do it and they drifted. So in chapter 2, verse 5. The Lord says, what fault did your fathers find in me that they strayed so far from me? They followed worthless idols and became worthless themselves. See, they set their heart on the wrong things and it led them. Verse 11, and I'm paraphrasing and picking out part of it because we're going to go quickly. Has any nation ever changed its gods? Yet they are not gods at all. But my people have exchanged their glory for worthless idols. Verse 13, my people have committed two sins. They have forsaken me, the spring of living water, and have dug dug their own cisterns, broken cisterns. Verse 17, chapter 2, have you not brought this on yourselves by forsaking the Lord your God, which he led you when he led you in the way? Verse 19, second half, consider then and realize how evil and bitter it is for you when you forsake the Lord. So the opposite of seeking is forsaking. The opposite of setting your heart is forsaking and not setting your heart. And this is what they had done. They did not... And then in uh, chapter 2, verse 30, In vain I punished your people. They did not respond to correction. Chapter 3, verse 2 and a half there. I'm going to start with the word you. You have defiled the land with your prostitution and wickedness. Therefore, the showers have been withheld, and no spring rains have fallen. Verse 11, return, faithless Israel, declares declares the Lord. I will frown on you no longer, for I am merciful, declares the Lord. I will not be angry with you forever. Verse 14, return, faithless people, declares the Lord, for I am your husband. Verse 15, then I will give you shepherds after my own heart, who will lead you with knowledge and understanding. And he goes on to say in verse 17, at that time they will call Jerusalem the throne of the Lord and all nations will gather in Jerusalem to honor the name of the Lord. No longer will they follow the stubbornness of their own evil hearts. Verse 20, but like a, a woman unfaithful to her husband, so you have been unfaithful to me, O house of Israel, declares the Lord. Verse 22, return, faithless people, I will cure you of your backsliding. Chapter 4 verse 1. If you will return, O Israel, return to me. Chapter 4 verse 3. This is what the Lord says to men of Judah and, and Jerusalem. Break up your unplowed ground and do not sow among the thorns. Circumcise your hearts, or circumcise yourselves to the Lord. Circumcise your hearts, you men of Judah or my wrath will break out and burn like fire because of the evil you have done. Burn with no one to quench it. Verse 14 of chapter four. 4, O Jerusalem, wash the evil from your heart and be saved. Verse 18, Your own conduct and actions have brought this upon you. This is your punishment, how bitter it is, how it pierces to the heart. And that's their punishment for forsaking God. I'm going to go on in chapter 5. Verse 7, Why should I forgive you? Your children have forsaken me and sworn by gods that are not gods. I supplied all their needs, yet they committed adultery and thronged to the houses of the prostitutes. Going on to verse 18, Yet even in those days, declares the Lord, I will not destroy you completely and when the people ask, why has the Lord our God done all this? You will tell them, as you have forsaken me and served foreign gods in your own land, so now you will serve foreigners in a land not your own. Consequences for forsaking God. Going on to chapter 6, verse 15. They are ashamed of their loathsome conduct. No, are they ashamed? That's a Question. Are they ashamed of their loathsome conduct of forsaking God? No, they have no shame at all. They do not even know how to blush. This is what the Lord says, verse 16. Stand at the crossroads and look. Ask for the ancient path. Where is the good way? Where is the good way? Walk in it, and you will find rest for your souls. But you said, we will not walk in it. Verse 19. Here, O earth, I am bringing disaster on this people. For the fruit of their schemes, because they have not listened to My words, they have rejected My law. Go into chapter 7. Jeremiah's temple speech. Verse 23, But I have gave this command, Obey Me and I will be your God and you will be My people. Walk in all the ways I command you, that it may go well with you. God's ways work. He wants it to, uh, to go well with us. Verse 24, But they did not listen or pay attention. Instead, they followed the stubborn inclinations of their own hearts. They went backward and not forward. From the time you your forefathers left Egypt until now, day after day, again and again, I sent you, my servants, the prophets, but they did not listen to me or pay attention. They were stiff-necked and did more evil than their forefathers. Chapter 8, verse 7 and a half there. But my people do not know the requirements of the Lord. Verse 9, since they have rejected the word of the Lord, what kind of wisdom do they have? Chapter 9, verse 25. The days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will punish all who are circumcised only in flesh. Egypt, Judah, Edom, Ammon, Moab, and all who live in the desert and distant places, for all these nations are really uncircumcised. Even the whole house of Israel is uncircumcised in heart. We can stop there, but you get the idea. That people have an opportunity, they had an obligation, they have an option to follow God, and they did not. They continue to forsake Him. And so Paul, coming to these Colossians and says, listen, you're a Christian. If you consider yourself a Christian, you have Christ in your hearts, and you live by faith, and your sins have been forgiven, and you're moving forward in a relationship with Him. You've been baptized and raised to new life. This is an obligation. Set your heart on God. Set your heart on things above where Christ is. And I've noticed, this is interesting, just as I pondered this, I am certainly no psychologist understanding how the mind works, but I'm learning why this is so important, why this is so significant. Keep seeking things above a higher place. What would be the opposite? Keep seeking things below. A lower place. And I've noticed that no matter where I start, no matter where I start, what kind of day I'm having, a good or a bad day, no matter where I start to seek things that are above, I leave that thinking at a higher place. You realize? So when I, when I wherever I am and I start to say, oh, I'm going to set my mind on the Lord while I take this walk. By the time I get back, I leave that time of thinking or pondering at a higher place. Pondering heavenly things. Mostly not the place. Okay? Ponder and set your mind on heavenly things. Not the place, but the person who inhabits that place. The person of God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. Pondering His righteousness, His power, His love, His holiness, His justice, His goodness, His beauty, His kindness, His mercy, His grace, His wisdom, His wrath, His sovereignty, His understanding, His strength, His patience. When I take time to ponder any of these things, any of those areas, I find that when I leave that time of pondering, I'm a step above. Of where I entered. Set your mind on things above. Set your heart on things above. It will change you. Paul knows this. The Holy Spirit knows this. Set your mind on things below. Ponder things below. It will change you. It will mark you. I find that I leave that place of pondering above where I started. My mind goes up, not down, when I ponder things above. But when I ponder things below, and I'm not guarded, and I'm not careful, guess what? My mind goes down. And I end up in a worse place than where I entered that pondering of things on earth, and things below the earth. But when I set my mind and my heart on things above, it takes me up. Seek things above, it will change you. Seeking things below, it will change you. I guarantee this fact. I guarantee this fact of this statement as much as I guarantee that the sun will set this afternoon. Does anybody disagree that tonight, unless something cataclysmic changes and Jesus Christ returns, The sun will set sometime after 6 o'clock this evening. Are we all in agreement? Okay, so this, this is the same kind of statement as that. The setting of the heart and the mind, this seeking is an absolute law. If the conditions are met, this is an absolute certainty. If you set your mind on things above, it will change you. If you set your mind on things below, it will change you. If you set your mind on something, if you seek that something, you will become more familiar with that something, and that something will have an effect. I was going to... Does anybody study um, physics here? Okay, let me grant. I'm just going to borrow Grant here. How old are you, Grant? 13 years old. Have you? How much studying in physics have you done? Maybe just a little bit. You didn't know it. But as far as specifically studying physics, and you guys can help me out. You teachers can help me out here. If Grant took just 10 minutes a day for this next year, 10 minutes a day, and he started to study physics. What would happen at the end of one year? Would he be a physicist? No. But would he, ha- would he become more familiar with physics? At the end of one year? Absolutely. Absolutely. So what happens if you and I set our mind on things above? What happens if you and I set our mind... On things of Scripture. And we set our mind on the person and the character and the accomplishment of Jesus Christ. Even for ten minutes a day for this next year. Will that not have an effect on our life? If we seek something, that will become more familiar with that something. We will be. And that something will have an effect on us. As that something has an effect... That something will have influence. Influence is both a result and an effect. We might ask somebody, Hey, boy, who's been influencing you? Whose influence have you been under? What kind of influence do you have in your life? So Paul would say, Set your mind, set your heart, set your affection, set your desire, set your will on things above. Proverbs 4.23, it says, Above all else, guard your heart, for from, from it flow the wellsprings of life. And Proverbs twenty three seven, it says, As a man thinketh in his heart, so is he. So there's something God designed into the human heart. You don't even have to be a Christian to recognize this. There's something God designed into the human person. You follow what it seeks, the heart. What it seeks becomes its life. The heart seeks more of what you give it. Like a fire. Put a stick in the fire. It will consume it. It will say more please. Give your heart some things to ponder. And your mind. And it will say, more please. Your conscience, your character, and your instruction will guard whether you should give your heart more of that or the other. But the heart is like an endless garden. And the beauty and the wisdom of the command is that it answers its own demand. It answers its own demand. Grant, if you wanted to study physics and you just took 10 to 15 minutes a day, you might find at the end of a year you're just fascinated with physics and you love it. You might find at the end of the year, well, I learned some things. I certainly did learn some things, but I learned I don't like this field. But you will be more familiar at the end of the year. And so the beauty and the wisdom of the command set your heart on things above is that It answers its own demand. It is a command. It's an imperative command of a lifestyle. The lifestyle of the Christian is to set his mind on things above. Because Paul knows, God knows, that whatever you set your heart on, what you pursue, you become. What you set your heart on, you pursue. What you pursue, you become. Both in beauty and both in Goodness, and both in evil and, bo- and in destruction. What you set your heart on. For example, let's turn, turn with me to the, the book of Romans. And actually, Romans chapter 11. So we're just going to use one example of this. That what you set your heart on. Now, you, you have to imagine with me, because we don't have time right now to do the full exercise. But if you come to the end of Romans 11, in verse 33, you'll read this doxology. And it says, Oh, the depth of the riches of the wisdom and the knowledge of God. How unse- unsearchable His judgment and His paths beyond tracing out. Who has known the mind of the Lord? Or who has been His counselor? Who has ever given to God what that God should repay Him? From Him and through Him and to Him are all things. To Him be glory forever and ever. I want to know what is Paul writing that for? This is the conclusion of something. It's the conclusion of not the whole letter of Romans only, but maybe specifically Romans 9, 10, and 11 where he's talking about the sovereignty of God, the power of God, the authority of God, the influence of God, the plan of God to save the world. And his, the outworking of that plan. And so Paul's pondering this and he says, Wow! Though the depth and the riches. So this statement was the result of Paul's pondering on God's amazing grace and sovereignty and power in the plan of the Israel and Gentiles throughout history. And it led him to write that. So the heart and the mind are the greatest garden that's ever been designed. They will take what is put there And they will ponder it, and they will nurture it, and they will nourish it. Ideas. Pictures. Think about this. Pretty simple. Even if I mention alligator, it's almost impossible not to think about, in your mind, an alligator. And to the degree which I could describe that alligator right now, I could take you back to a thousand different places where you've seen an alligator. So you could set your mind on that alligator. You could check out. And some of you, I lost you. I shouldn't have done that. You'll be in the zoo the rest of the day. But you get the idea. The mind is incredible. So when Paul says, set your mind on things above, he's saying something so breathtaking. Such an amazing privilege. Do you realize the beauty and the power and the ability of the human mind? And the danger and destruction of the human mind. The human mind not set on things above. I don't know if there's anything more dangerous ever designed, created, or invented than the human mind not set on things above. At least its capacity. Obviously, we could find people all over and we are say, well... They're not as evil as they could be. They're not as evil as they had been. They don't take every opportunity. But if they set their hearts on the wrong things, you can guarantee. So the the heart and the mind, they take what is put there, the ideas, the affections, the likes and the dislikes, and they ponder them. And they nurture them, and they nourish them, and they feed on them. And when they feed on them, they grow. So we were in Romans. Uh, You spin forward a little bit and you come to this letter of Ephesians. And this is just one little statement out of Ephesians. In chapter 4 of Ephesians, Paul says, I tell you this and insist on in the Lord that you no longer live as the Gentiles do in the futility of their thinking. So if you're a Christian, you have an obligation to set your mind. Not let your mind just wander. But it says, They are darkened in their understanding and separated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardening of their hearts. Verse 19. Having lost all sensitivity, they have given themselves over to sensuality so as to indulge in every kind of impurity with a continual lust for more. This isn't the only place in Scripture where it talks about the mind and the heart wanting more. And I tell you, when you set time to be with the Father, to be with the Son, to be pondering things above, it only makes you hunger to spend more time with the Father, with the Son, with the Spirit, and move further up the stream to the Source, to be indeed with God Himself. Romans 6.19 says something almost similar, almost exactly the same, talking about the heart again. It says this, I put this in human terms because you are weak in your natural selves, just as you used to offer the parts of your body in slavery to immaturity and to ever-increasing wickedness. The ever-increasing wickedness, that's the idea, the part that you get sucked into this. Setting your mind on things of. Ab- below will take you to places you don't want to go. Setting your mind on things above will help you ponder the God of love. And it's exactly the same thing. You can go into darkness and you can ponder things and the human mind will continue to become more familiar with whatever it sets its mind to. So influence... Going back to influence, what you spend time on, what you spend time thinking about is going to influence you. The word influence is, basically it means a flowing in, or into or in, referring to substantial or subtle effects, sometimes easily seen, sometimes not seen at all. The word is often followed by the word into, in or with, influence, with, with influence. So influence in a general sense means the power whose operation is invisible and known only by its effects. So Paul would say, Christian, set your mind on things above. Just do it. Set your mind on things above and maybe come back a year later. See how that worked for you. Do a little experiment. And you will find that God knew what He was talking about when He gave you the obligation and the privilege and the opportunity to set your mind on things above. And obviously, as we wrap this up, there's a danger there. There's always a danger. According to Jesus, there's a danger that we should be careful in how we pray so that we don't become prayer, praying like a Pharisee. We should, be, we should be careful in how we give So that we don't be coming giving like a Pharisee. Living like a Pharisee. So we set our mind and hearts on things above so there's constant check. I was thinking about if, uh, I'm not a very good artist, but if somebody could, well, I didn't bring my board. But you could imagine on the back of your sheet there might be some room on notes there. Just draw a little compass. I was wondering if we could think about this together as a church family. If you drew a compass, okay, on the top of the compass, you would have a what? N, yeah, N for north on the bottom, S for south, east, west, okay? And then where your needle is, I was hoping and praying, and I'm praying for you and you pray for me. Let's set our needle as God seekers. Let's set our needle on God. Let's set our heart on things above. Let's see what will happen in our individual lives, in our families, in our marriages, in our community, if we become God-seekers and we set our hearts on things above. It just grips me. It grips me. And it should grip you. And it will grip you. Because He said, If then. You have been raised with Christ. Set your heart on things above. Where Christ is. Where you are. In Him. What a privilege. What a privilege. So we can set our hearts. And you do every day. And I do every day. And let's just continue to learn the significance of that. Let's encourage one another. Spur one another on. As we set our hearts on Him. One of the things that we've uh, been practicing here as a church family is to share the Lord's table together um, on the first Sunday of a month. That's not anything we found in Scripture that you have to set aside to share the Lord's table once a month on the first Sunday of the month. You can share the Lord's table wherever two or three are gathered. He is there with them. But it's been our practice to share the Lord's table on this Sunday, the first Sunday of the month. And so we have an opportunity to uh, consider resetting, recalibrating, if you will. Refreshing, refining, retuning our own hearts as we ponder the communion table. By eating, we remember the past and say, Jesus has come. Jesus has died for our sins. He has risen from the dead. Our guilt is removed. Our forgiven. Our sins are forgiven. Our condemnation and punishment have been transferred to Christ. Our acquittal is sealed. Our reconciliation with God is accomplished. Our bondage to sin is broken. Our enemy has been put to naught. The sting of death is removed. The destiny of hell is averted. Eternal life has been given. The Lord has come. So during the Lord's table, we look back and we remember the accomplishment of Jesus Christ in fulfilling God's will of coming to seek and save that which was lost and laying down his life. And we look back and it says a man and a woman, people, ought to examine themselves before they drink of the cup. And we just lay our life before the Lord and say, Hey, Lord, once again, here I am. We live before the God who knows and the God who sees. And He invites us to set our hearts on Him, to trust Him. And so we take a time, in a, in a sense, to refresh ourselves in the accomplishment of Jesus. There's nothing we can do to add to His accomplishment that He laid down His life and that through our faith in His accomplishment on the cross to die for our sins, that's the bedrock of our salvation. It's an accomplishment that can't be changed. It's a finished work. We don't add to the work. We accept the work by putting our faith in what Jesus has done for us. And we lay our life in His hands. To do with us that which is pleasing to Him. To work in us and work out of us that which is pleasing to Him. And we cooperate with His will and His Word. And He works His transformation in our lives. And so today as we share the table, we're reminded that when they were together, that Jesus took the bread and He broke it and He gave it to His disciples. He said, "Take and eat this in remembrance of me." So those who are, we have some folks that are going to help share the. So as these uh, these individuals pass this out, the bread. um, If you want to participate today, you are welcome to. If not, that's between you and the Father. And then when you come back up here, we'll share it together.